Welcome back to another episode of Vulnerable Views, a podcast where we open up and talk about things that are important to us and topics that are less talked about in our opinion. I'm Faria. And I'm Shelly. And we are so excited to share our views with you. Sometimes I just need time for myself and I just need time to be at home and just watch TV or whatever. And who am I really, right? Like, what do I like? Like, how am I? I've always been so focused on trying to get someone to like me that I've never thought about what do I bring to the table. I find myself like scrolling through the Austin Animal Shelter, like, Instagram account where they have all these cute puppies. And I'm like, should I adopt a dog? Like, having a written planner, taking that second to actually write it out gives me a second to do like a quick mental check of do I really have the time to do this this week? Even if you're really hot and distracted by the dead animal that you're holding. <laughs> oh wow, okay. <laughs> I am doing these certain things that I used to do in past trauma. Um. Welcome to episode one of season two of Vulnerable Views. We are so excited to be back for season two. We took a few months off to kind of plan and organize for what we wanted this next season to be and we're really excited to bring you all some really awesome episodes. So for our first episode, we have an amazing guest with us, and we're going to be covering politics, in particular, talking about voting. So our guest today is Zohaib Kadri, and Zohaib is a regional director at DigiDems. Most recently, he worked as a regional organizing director at Warren for President and as a legislative assistant for Texas State Representative Eric Johnson. He also currently serves on the boards of Wise Up TX, Engage USA, and 10,000 Villages, ADCT, and Austin Muslim Democrats. He holds a master's degree in global affairs from Rice University, a master's in public administration from Texas State University, and a BA from the University of Texas at Austin. He currently lives in Texas and can be found eating Whataburger while kayaking down Lady Bird Lake. Like that is like the quintessential Texas thing, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. a good way to spend a Texas summer for sure. (laughs) I was in South Carolina for 10 months and I can't tell you how much I missed Whataburger and how much I feel like I took it for granted while I was here. Uh, Because in South Carolina, they have a place called Bojangles and it's probably the closest thing to Whataburger, but it's not Whataburger. So (laughs) yeah, you're like, it's not quite the same, Mm -hmm. but cool. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to have you here and to talk about kind of your background in politics and then also just discuss the topic of voting. It's election year this year, so we think it's really relevant to be talking about this right now. So I'd love to start out just hearing a little bit about how you got into politics. Yeah, well, I think I've said this already, but if I haven't, I'm super excited to be on when Faria texted me and saying, hey, are you, you know, would you be able to get on this podcast? I was like, oh my God, me? Like, I I almost felt like a imposter syndrome already. I was like, oh, oh maybe God. I'm not like the, the most interesting person to, to, to be on the podcast, but I'm really excited to be on. And I think this is such an important topic with 59 days to go until election day. Uh, and I think it's just an important topic to have like going forward, because even when there's not elections going on, there's, you know, politics is affecting all of our lives on, on a daily basis. Um, so I, my, my, I guess, path to politics, it wasn't, it wasn't like I, I was an, an undergrad at UT and I'm like, oh, I want to go into politics. I, I, I voted sometimes and then other times I didn't. And I wasn't as engaged as I probably should have. I, I even had like work where I would do nonpartisan work and I would do research on bills. But I, it wasn't one of those things that I was like super motivated to be in. You know, I, I worked for an academic journal for a bit, like right before I got started in politics. So, I mean, I, I, I found academia like really interesting and exciting. And politics was one of those things that, you know, yeah, if it's an election year, I'll, I'll vote. Or, you know, if, if, if it's the job I'm doing at the time, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the work. But, you know, I think like a lot of people, I think 2016 was just a big shock. I don't think anyone expected it. And just everything that happened after 
after Trump's victory, you know, how it affected people of color, you know, how it affected, you know, members of the LGBTQ community, Muslims, Jewish folks, you saw his policies in place and how it, how it adversely affected people abroad, but also people within the United States. Uh, after Trump wrote his, uh, you know, issued his, his, his Muslim ban, the next day, my hometown mosque was burned down. I mean, I, I've heard of other mosques, and, and not only in Texas, but throughout the country, being burned down or desecrated, Jewish synagogues and and and, um, and, and graveyard, and cemeteries being being messed with, and and I think we've just seen his his rhetoric continue to inspire hateful, spiteful people, and you know everything that's been going on recently with, with police brutality and and just how he's kind of stoking the the, the flames of, of division. So, well, now we're, I'm already in 2020, but anyway, going a little bit back, uh, how did I get involved? Uh, so I moved to Houston to, to pursue my master's, and I started getting involved with the local Democratic Party in, in, in Harris County. And I was at a I was at a candidate forum, and I and I heard a woman speak. Her name is Laura Moser, and she was running for the seventh congressional district. And she was like super progressive, and everything she said, I was like, oh my god, like she's amazing. Like I'm so inspired by her. And so I, I went up to her after the forum ended, and I'm like, I want to work for you. So she, you know, gave me her campaign manager and I think her comms director's info. She's like, contact them, contacted them, came in for an interview and I, and I got the position. And I, I was just extremely motivated by, I mean, we ended up losing in a runoff and, and the, the lady who beat us is now a sitting congresswoman out, out of Texas, the seventh. But she, she really, Laura, you know, even though she, you know, didn't win that election and, and I've kept in touch with her and she's like, I probably won't ever run for office again but like she really inspired me right like for some people it's like when obama ran in you know 2008 but for me it was like laura moser right it was this like progressive lady who ran and uh i just believed in everything she did and you know i I just appreciated her for giving me the opportunity on on a campaign like for people of color getting in the political world is really hard especially i mean even democratic politics so after after laura's race and that ended uh i worked on beto senate race for for a bit until until election day hit and then after that, I came back. I was in Houston at the time finishing up my, my degree. But my last semester of grad school, I was able to uh, work on my capstone remotely. So I moved back to Austin and I worked for a state rep. And I was his legislative guy for the session. Uh, and it was just a really interesting experience because at, by, at that point, I'd never worked on the official side. And then during that time, I, you know, I knew the presidential election was getting closer and never obviously worked on a presidential campaign. And I'm like, this is extremely important. I think I would kick myself if I, if I didn't try to get on a campaign. So as luck would have it, you know, Senator Warren, someone who I super respect, and I think she's, you know, just that her values and platforms and policies, like I, I just thought she's a policy wonk, and I, I had so much respect for that. So I, I got an offer to work on her campaign in South Carolina. So right after session ended, I think the next day, I packed up my belongings in, in two suitcases, and I got on a plane to South Carolina, and I spent 10 months there. And it was a great experience, met a lot of great people, you know, just got me even more in like, you know, the progress. Like, I feel like every time I worked on a campaign or worked somewhere, I got more left and left in my politics. So, I mean, it was it was a great experience. And then once that unfortunately ended, um, I, I, I came back to Austin, which was a great thing because now I could eat Whataburger and uh, be on, you know, Lake Lake Austin um, <laughs> and, and kayak on Lake Austin. So I, I drove back to to Austin and I started with, a, with an organization called DigiDems, where I'm the regional director and I've been working with campaigns in the in the Midwest and just super excited about election day. That's amazing. Uh, Zahib and I follow each other on Twitter. Well, I think we all do now, but my favorite tweets are you're like 130 days till the election. Yeah, it gives a lot of people anxiety, um, but like it helps me. Like when when I was on the Warren campaign, the the office I had had like 
like four like walls because like the one wall was just a glass window so i couldn't put a map a calendar there so i had a calendar up and as soon as like a day went by i like i put a huge x on it and then eventually i started like cutting the days so like the calendar just started disappearing uh and it was really exciting and it drove a lot of people mad but i'm like this is how i know like we're getting closer and closer to to election day yeah, no, I think your dedication, like, really shows through something as small as that, right? And it was interesting hearing you talk about imposter syndrome, because I'm sure that's valid and your feelings are valid. But, like, mm. hearing your bio and all the degrees and all the campaigns and all the organizations you're on the board of, it's just, it's really inspiring. And I, I think that's awesome that you're so involved. And, you know, you talked a little bit about how 2016 was so pivotal. I mean, I remember my sister was hosting like an election party. I remember just like the sense of dread when I realized what was happening. And then seeing the last four years, right, and and seeing everything that's happening up until the issues that we're having with the post office right now, right? And Shelly and I have talked about, we're so open and understanding to people with different viewpoints. But it's not even about that, right? It seems like it's just about like basic humanity and like stuff that I don't think any of us ever imagined happening in politics. So going back to, I did want to ask a little bit if you could explain kind of the basics of voting. Because one of the things with this episode particularly is we wanted to focus on voting because it's such an important year, but also like you said, it's important to just be, to vote and to be active, right? And I think a lot of people don't understand even how it works because I remember hearing I just heard this recently. I, sh- I should have known this before, but like Hillary technically got more votes, but Trump won the Electoral College. And but yeah, could you explain to us a little bit about how like U.S. voting works? Yeah. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast or no? <laughs> the Electoral College is bullshit, right? It's a, uh, you know, it, it's, its origin is, is very racist in its nature. Like you said, Hillary won by close to three million votes. I mean, there's a there's a possibility Joe Biden could win this current you know election by like six million, 10 million votes. Right. But if Donald Trump does the math and he wins the Electoral College again, um, he's going to be the president again, right? So, like, I mean, Hillary could have won by 50 million votes, right? But the fact that Trump won the electoral is why he's unfortunately the president. So the way the electoral college works is that it's comprised of 538 electors, and you need 270 electors to win. So as you, you might remember on election night, you know, you know, the moment Trump was nearing that 270 mark, everyone was, like, freaking out, like, oh, shit, he's going to be the next president. And, and unfortunately, that's what happened. So the way that it works is that uh, electorals are assigned based off of your state's population. The bigger the state, like Texas, California, New York, Florida, more electorals you have. Um, states like I don't know Idaho, Montana, uh, North Dakota, like you know those are like you know smaller states in terms of, of population. So you get electorals based on how many. So obviously, when you drop a map uh, for for districts, congressional districts, those are also based on population, right? So Texas has. X amount of folks in Congress versus Oklahoma versus uh, Louisiana, right? So the, the way that you know how much each state has, you know, how many electorals, you know, they have is based off of members of Congress plus everyone has two, every state has two senators, so plus two, right? And then um, D.C. gets electors, but uh, U.S. Ter- territories do not. Uh, and the way that it works is that whoever wins, whoever gets the most popular vote, right, in a state, they get all the state's electors. So that's the case for 48 states in D.C. Where that's not the case, and I wanted to make sure I had this right, is, is Maine and Nebraska. So two electors are assigned in, in the manner of, of who gets the most votes in the state, and the remaining electors in the state are allocated based on the pl- plurality of votes in each congressional district. Um, so it's just, it's just a very outdated system. Like we're one of the... I want to say we're like one of the only countries who actually has a system like the Electoral College. Like I think other other you know countries look at us and like, why are you doing this? And I, I truthfully don't understand. I think there's a lot of things we do in this country that are 
I just outdated and necessary. Like you guys might have remembered how bad the IO caucuses were, uh, you know, all the mayhem that ha- that happened with that. I don't even fully understand the caucus system, and yet we have a caucus system, uh, you know, in, in in a state that truly doesn't represent who we are as a country. So you know, I think in a perfect world, we we go by who gets the most votes, and we go by. Uh, you know, we don't go by a caucus system where, you know, majority of the of the state is older white folks and not, you know, you know, just everyone as, as what the United States is. I don't even think I know what the caucus system is. So basically what a caucus is, and I'm going to describe it as much as I can. So I worked in South okay. Carolina. We don't we didn't have a caucus there. Nevada and Iowa have the caucuses. And, and I was like, well, I don't know if they're going to change it going into 2024, but they're the first state to vote. And they're, they're a caucus state. So basically... Everyone gets together in a room. And Shelly, do you know what a caucus is? I think so. I feel like I okay. had read about it at, yeah, at some point because I was like, I don't know what this is. But then, but yeah, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, so that basically, it's like, a bit, basically, yeah. like if my apartment was like a caucus center, right, like 100 people would come in, right? And each each person is pledged to a candidate, right? But you need to maintain a certain level of of, of folks to be a viable candidate, right? So if your candidate is no longer viable, that person is basically a free agent and anyone else in the room who's supporting another candidate will be like, well, come to my side, support my candidate, right? So whoever, so, so that's how it works. It's a really weird system. You don't go to a voting booth and actually vote. I'm probably not even explaining it properly because I don't fully understand it, but it's a, it's a very outdated, unnecessary system and, and caused a lot of um, confusion and mayhem this past IO caucus. Um, and it's just something that's just very unnecessary. Gotcha. No, thanks for laying that out out. Oh, it does sound complicated. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't. It was almost like it's like the metric system. Like other countries are like, mm-hmm. we're all doing it this way. Why are you doing it? <laughs> yeah, because I don't know too much about voting in other countries either. So that's that's super interesting. No, but it's like if, if you and Shelly were like, we're running against each other for something, right? You would think that, okay, if Shelly got 15 votes and you got 13, Shelly would win, right? But like because of in this theory. word. Yeah, in theory. Yeah. But like that's just not how it works. Yeah, it is interesting. I feel like, yeah, in a perfect world everyone would actually understand how the voting system works and it would be like very clear and ever so I, I feel like there's an issue even just in the fact that a lot of people don't really understand how it works and, and it just seems so complicated and things like you know the 2016 election can happen where it's like even I don't know I always I mean I work with kids so this is probably why but I feel like with some things I'm like if you would explain it to a child and they would be like what are you talking you know like I feel like a child would be like oh, whoever gets the most votes would win. Like, that just makes sense to the average person. So it just is interesting that I do feel like in the U.S. we just have, yeah, like, kind of like what you said, so hey, like, have, like, very outdated or just these traditional things that it's like, oh, this is how we've always been doing it, so I guess we'll just keep doing it this way instead of, like, looking at how the rest of the world does things and be like, oh, maybe we should change our systems or something. But I'm sure there's a, I mean, I'm sure there's more that goes into it where it would be more complicated to try to change it or something, but... Yeah, it is interesting. It's very... No, I feel like the way you explained it made sense, though. It's definitely... Still feels complicated, but I'm like, okay, I understand it better now, I think, maybe, (laughs) which is good. And that's a good point, Shelley, too, because when you talk about, like, barrier of entry to voting, right, or, like, complications to vote, which is a whole other... I think we do a whole episode on just that if we wanted. But, like, I think when you don't understand how it works, you might be less motivated to do it, right, to go out and vote. And then... Even things like people are like, Texas is always going to be red, so my vote doesn't count, right? It's like because of the way the Electoral College works, people aren't inclined to go out and vote because they think their vote doesn't matter.
listeners, running out of things to do during quarantine, we wanted to tell you about this cool game called We're Not Really Strangers. This is a card game that encourages deep conversations between players, and it's one that Faria and I recently played on an Instagram Live. Whether you're getting to know someone new or you want to strengthen an existing relationship, this game is a fun way to make that happen. Check them out on Instagram at We're Not Really Strangers. On that topic, what would you say to people who think that their vote doesn't matter, that they can't make a difference? Yeah, I mean, I think people's vote does matter. I mean, look at what's happened with this pandemic, right? This, you know, you know, everything that's happened with COVID, right? It's it's because our federal government, like your vote mattered, right? Because because of either your lack of voting or people who voted a certain way and then Trump won through the electoral system, you know, the federal government has had such a horrific response to this crisis, right? It's, I mean, I don't know if it's incompetence or negligence or, or what it is, right? But, but I think in many cases, the saving grace is like good leadership by the state and local level, right? So like I think in, in Austin, right? I think, I think Mayor Adler has done a pretty good job. Uh, I think in Houston, whether it be Mayor Turner or, or County Judge Hidalgo, like I think they've done a really good job when we have folks at the top in, in terms of, so I, I, you know, elections matter. And I think it's really important, you know, whether it's at the federal level or the state level or the local level, right? You know, in, in Congress, you see, you know, all these, you know, you always hear about good bills and bad bills and Trump's doing this and Trump's doing that, that in, in terms of the White House. But I mean, on, like I, I worked last session, right? Like there were so many things that were brought up on, on, on the local, on the, sorry, on the state level, right? Whether it be education or budget or healthcare or women's healthcare or gun safety, right? And, and all that is, is extremely important and it affects us every day as Texans, right? And then on the local level, right, your, your tax dollars go towards education. If you have a pothole in front of your house or your apartment, that's a local issue. We got out of the, you know, the, uh, the, the Paris Climate Accord, right? But there's a lot of mayors in the United States who are like, we're going to stick and work on, you know, fight, combating climate change, right? Uh, you have some prosecutors in, in certain parts of the country that are really aggressive and and go after people of color for like small petty crimes, but then you have prosecutors who are more like, you know, they're known as progressive prosecutors, right? We shouldn't ruin everyone, you know, anyone's life for a small thing. And, you know, the way that we're doing criminal justice needs to be, it needs to change and, and, and work for everyone, uh, just not a few folks. And, and all, like I say all this because, you know, yes, when you're going to vote in November, you're going to vote for the president, you're going to vote for, you know, a senator. You know, you know, vote for whoever is going to represent you in Congress. But you're also going to have state reps and state senators. You're going to have, you know, county judges and and, and county commissioners and city council members and and you know, school board members and and all that. And I think it's so important to have people who who represent us and who look like us and 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 who will do right by us. I lived in Houston when Hurricane Harvey hit, and I remember being. I was. It was my. Literally, I think in my first or second week of classes, and I was like, a first time living in Houston, I was like, oh, great. This is how I'm being baptized in Houston with, like, a hurricane. Um, so I just remember, like, getting a bunch of, you know, going to HEB. Uh, my cousin was living with me at the time, so, we, you know, we got a bunch of, of groceries, and we are like, we're going to have to, uh, you know, duke this out. And I remember the devastation that, you know, the city faced. And a lot of it, yeah, you know, we had, you know, a national response to it. You know, we had a... We had a a state response but a lot of it just like you know was on the backs of local leaders right it was like on sheriffs and mayors and and city council members and county judges in terms of like disaster relief 
um, you know, when I was also in Houston, it was obviously, unfortunately, during during Trump's reign of terror. It was uh, a detention facility, right, by by Minute Maid and where the where the Houston Dynamo play their soccer games. There was a detention facility that was being proposed to hold kids, right? And ultimately, it would come down to the vote of, of council, right? The mayor and council kind of had a say, and there was a lot of pressure put on. I remember I would go out and, you know, to protest and rain or shine. And a, a lot of it was just putting pressure on council to make sure that they don't, you know, let the Trump administration come into their city and, and, and do this do this horrible work, right? Um, you know, more so on the local level, you know, right now I'm living in Austin and we're in a pandemic, right? I think Mayor Adler's done a great job um, in, in Austin. And I think a lot of other, these, a, a lot of other big cities have, have done a lot of really good job, but I think there's cities that have dropped the ball. And I think it just comes down to local leadership, right? How do we, like, do we listen to the governor and like, you know, open up everything, right? Or do we, you know, wear a mask six feet distance. You have to wear a mask if you're inside a business. You no know, gatherings of ten or more people. Like, I think that saved lives, right? I think unfortunately we're at we're at a point where almost you know two hundred thousand Americans are dead. But I think the number the number could be drastically worse. Not because Trump did X, Y, and Z. It's because local officials put you know forth people over politics. And you know, I've even seen Republican you know members, whether it be like mayors of, of certain cities or, or whatnot, who, who have who have said, you know what, I'm not going to listen to what, what Trump said because this, this isn't this isn't right. Um, and then on the state level, I just, you know, you know, once again, it's like I, I mentioned in, in a previous uh, question, it's it's like it's budget, it's education, it's healthcare, like restrictive measures on abortion, uh, you know, just like discrimination, discrimination against like, you know, LGBTQ or, or trans community. It's just a, a lot of horrific stuff. Right. And it's it's done on, on on a state level, right? So I mean, state and local are extremely important. They I would argue they affect you on a daily basis. You know, outside of little things like potholes, right? But it's also like if you have kids, you know, where they go to school and their their education. It's about it's about safety. It's about infrastructure. It's about transportation. And like I said, this is all local and state stuff. So it's extremely important. Yeah. No, I think you did a great job of like giving a lot of different examples of exactly how it does affect all of our lives. And I think people that are like, oh, maybe this doesn't affect me at all. It's like, it really affects everyone, no matter who you are. And yeah, I didn't really care too much about politics until the 2016 election. And then I started seeing, right, like, what can go wrong when we don't pay attention. And then, like, it's it's also like, not that hard. I don't know if you guys feel this way. But like, I had this myth of like, politics is boring. And it's like difficult in my vote to like all this you know, and maybe some of that is, like, the barriers uh, to entry that are put for, like, minority groups or, like, just how it's hard to, like, understand the voting system and vote in general. But it's, like, you know, nowadays, like, Instagram is giving me ads. It's, like, have you registered to vote? Like, click here. Like, you're already on social media. You're already doom scrolling. Like, click. Make sure you're registered. You know, you have to, like, mail an application in. But it's, it's so easy. And I think, like you said, like, we don't understand how much really affects us. And, and this year particularly, like, for me, has just been another reminder of that. Even stepping back, because I don't want people to think that, okay, look, we vote in November and we get the result that we want, then that's great. We don't need to vote for another four years. So even like, even outside of a pandemic, right, <coughs> would you say it's still important to be like civically engaged and 
politically active and like i mean what else can we do besides voting and like why is that important just in general outside of disaster years which is what i'm calling 2020 because it's so awful and now they're taking parks and rec off netflix and i'm really sad yeah they're also <laughs> taking away the, the the mexican pizza from taco bell which is getting a yeah, bunch of bunch here. of signatures yeah so just yeah no 2020 overall <laughs> Yeah, I think 2020 has just just been horrific. I mean, from a, I, like, I remember the first major thing was like when Kobe Bryant died, right? For like people in the sports world, I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, we have this pandemic. We have George Floyd's murder, right? We have the continued murder of, of, of black folks. And, and, you know, this, just this awful, the ugly face of police brutality that's, you know, kind of been there forever, you know, for black and brown communities. But now that, you know, social media and people recording stuff on their phones, like we're actually seeing it and we're seeing what these communities are, have gone and are going through. Um, I just think outside of an election, it's just important to be vigilant, right? Uh, there's always something that, that's going to be happening. And I, I will, will quickly share a story that just shows that it's people do have the power to, for change, right? Whether it's through protest, you know, whether it's through voting, whatever it may be, um, when I, when I was in Houston, uh, a old classmate of mine from from UT contacted me, and she's like, "My brother was taken away by ICE. Uh, we were coming back from from Mexico, and they like took him away, you know, unlawfully. This and that." She's like, "I reached out to you because I know you work in politics. Um, is there any help that you can give?" Right. So um, I I just like you know I'm, I'm I'm no one. So I was like, you know what, I I can connect you with some like attorneys i can connect you with some civil rights groups so i connected her with like care which is a, a muslim civil rights group i connected her to feel which is a uh, latinx civil rights group and just a bunch of other activists and community members you know to make sure that th that story got in front of the camera and you know we, we continued to to protest out of, outside of the detention facility that he was he was locked up in you know we made sure we got his his voice his, his, his story out but but the one story within this story that I want to share is that during this time, all this is going on, the the my, my old classmate from UT was at an event where a, a sitting member of, of, of Congress was at. And she went up to them and she said, this is this, this happened to my brother. Like, can you help? Can you make sure that his story is heard? Like he lives in your district, like help. Right. Please help me and my family. And she and, and, the, and the council, sorry, and, and the congresswoman, uh, you know, turned to to. My, my 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 former classmate and she said uh we live in the age of trump there's nothing i can do right like it is what it is oh. right so that that shows you that a like you know even these people in, in office who are who are democrats like sometimes they just don't do the work and i think what ended up happening is that we kept making noise kept making noise kept making noise kept making noise and he was he was released by you know from the detention facility i think he's still waiting some sort of um hearing in front of the judge but it, w it was people right it was activists it was people who aren't elected officials it was people who, like you and me who helped get him out of the detention facility it wasn't a member of, of congress and, and and i say all this because i think activism is so important whether there's an election or not right there's always some you know whether you know like the folks who do march for our lives or the you know you know people who do you know like planned parenthood when, when they have events or black lives matter I think it's so important, like the work that activists do is so important and so necessary, uh, whether it's an election year or not, whether they're an elected official or not. Like, I, I think I think people have a power and an influence that a lot of the times they don't realize until you know, something happens.
Yeah, I think Zohei, like, I, I knew the person you mentioned about, too, and mm-hmm, I had forgotten mm-hmm. that happened, and I was like, yeah, and it's like I it's, remember seeing it unfold and being like, what happened, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's like horrific, because, like, there, there was not, there was no law broken, right? It was just unlawful, yeah, he was, it was unlawful detention, right? And that could happen to anyone, right? I, as a, as a brown guy, right, I've been stopped by the cops, right, for, I have no idea why, and I just... I don't know why I actually started this story, but it's just extremely important to stay vigilant even when it's on an election year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it comes down to like voting is power and it's like we have the opportunity to make choices that can help or not help others, right? Yeah. Like you're, like you were saying, our vote does matter. And so just encouraging more and more people to vote out, uh, vote, sorry, vote and come out and vote. Because I think I saw the, I don't know the, st- the statistics of like how many people who are eligible to vote are actually registered, but I did see that like, the number of registered voters versus the people who like actually showed up and for example the 2016 presidential election was like much lower mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. not even everyone who could and it's like you know i don't know if people think like their vote doesn't matter and it's like well, part of this was trying to talk have this conversation so we could you know let people know that it really does right it really yeah. is important it really doesn't take that much time even like it's on instagram go register i never i never saw that before 2016 yeah, Instagram was around before 2016. I never saw social media, like, you know, trying to make it easy for us. So it's like it's, it's in front of us. And I really hope I really hope more people realize that. And we have a privilege, too. I know in other countries, like, the laws are harder to vote or you can't like not everyone can still vote. So for sure. Yeah, yeah we, we definitely have a privilege. And I think a lot of that is, you know, there, there was a time that women weren't allowed to vote. Right. There was a time that brown people weren't allowed to vote in the 1923 folk from the Indian subcontinent weren't allowed to vote, not, you know, not allowed to become citizens so they couldn't vote. And that didn't change until 1946. And, you know, I, I say all this because a lot of this goes back to the work of, of black folks, especially black women. And I, I think it's a disservice to them and so many activists who came before us who gave up their lives in, in certain instances to, to not vote, right? And, yeah. and I, I applaud a lot of these organizations who are making sure people are registered to vote. I think a lot of campaigns are doing voter registration, which I think is super important. Like I applaud, like I, I live in downtown and uh, there's Royal Blue Grocery. It's like a, it's like underneath a lot of apartment buildings. Yeah, they're great. Um, sometimes overpriced, but that's a different story. Um, yeah, definitely overpriced. But I love them. And what they're starting to do is that outside of the store, they have like voting table, like like, table set out for folks to register to vote. And inside of the store, they also have like a bunch of stuff about like making sure people are registered to vote. And I think that's great. Like, I I applaud them for that. And, and, you know, it's, it's stuff from that to like bigger cases of NBA teams opening up their arenas to make as, you know, voting, voting centers, right? These like huge arenas or massive arenas are now places folks can go out and vote. And I just think it's, it's just a disservice to so many people if we don't go out and vote, right? It's super simple, right? It doesn't cost you a thing, right? But it, for some people, it costs them their lives. And I just think it's a disservice if we don't do it. guys enjoying our podcast then you might enjoy another one we wanted to recommend a podcast we recently discovered called the happiness lab this podcast is by yellow professor dr Lori santos and it dives deep into the science behind happiness and how we can use that to be happier in our own lives we're already on episode four and we love it 
Check it out and let us know what you think. You can reach out to us on Instagram at vulnerableviews, or you can send us an email at vulnerableviewspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, this year for sure has changed a lot of my, not changed, but it's made me realize especially how important it is to vote. Like, I think as a white person, I am kind of ashamed to say, like, in the past, I feel like I didn't realize, I mean, I do have a lot of privilege, obviously, and so it's, like, kind of realizing, like, okay, some of these things might not necessarily affect my life directly because I am privileged as a white person in America, but, like, I have to be trying to help other communities and people that aren't, you know, don't have that privilege. Even with the, you know, with COVID this year, I feel like a lot, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but it's like a lot of people who are young and, you know, they're still going to parties or they're still doing these things. And they're, it's almost like their mindset is like, well, if I got COVID, I'd probably be fine. So I don't need to worry about it. Um, So I think, I don't know, sometimes I just get really angry about how a lot of people in the U.S. seem to just not care about other people at all. And it's like, just because it doesn't directly affect you doesn't mean you shouldn't care about it, right? So I guess going back a little bit to voting, I feel like you covered a lot, but is there anything else you feel like people maybe don't know about the voting system or just anything else you maybe want to say about kind of to educate people? For sure. So I think think one thing that can't be... And I might state this wrong, but 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 I, but I think the overall message will get out. So Beto ran in 2018, right? He does a great campaign, and he's still lost, right? And people are like, "Oh shit, he lost, right?" So what what was all that for? Well, what that was for is that Harris County was able to elect progress, you know, like Dem leading, you know, left leaning judges. I can't say they're all progressive, but like you know, the, you know, basically electing a bench that would properly serve its people. You had state houses and state house and state senate seats flip, right? Because you know there was a down ballot effect. You had a, a county judge, you know, get elected in Lena Hidalgo and from Harris County. You had congressional seats flip, right? Like it. I mean, I think that's your vote is never wasted, even if your candidate loses, right? Is what I'm trying to say. For example, like uh, uh, you know Julie Oliver, right? Fantastic candidate. She's running in Texas 25. And like I, I you know, love her and her campaign and all the great work they're doing. And she even said she's like, if even even if she doesn't win, right? There's like I don't know, like six, seven state house seats within her congressional district. Like if she does enough, even like I hope she wins, and I think she'd be fantastic if she won, um, and she would do so good by that community. But even if she doesn't win, but they they get X amount of people to come out and vote, they could flip some of those state house seats, right? And that just you know that you know benefits us on a local state level like no other. So I, I say all this because your vote is never wasted, right? Just because your person doesn't win. Like, I think there's power to voting. There's power to in defeat, right? Like, unfortunately, Clinton didn't win, right? But I think that mode, like 2018 was known as the, the, <clears throat> the, the year of the woman, right? And you had all these like great women run for office and, you know, AOC is the one who gets a lot of the, uh, the noise, right? But it's like... I think it's so like even in loss, you could you could motivate so many people, right? Like I to take it all the way back to the beginning of this conversation. Laura Moser may never run for office again. I mean, according to her, she's not going to run for office. She'll never be an elected official. You know, her name will never show up in you know as a member of the United States uh, House of Representatives. But she motivated a lot of people, including myself, right? So I think I think voting is important. I think 
you know, I, I just think the ripple effects are, are you, you can never discount the, the ripple effects of, of voting. Okay, so we've talked a lot about voting and all of that. I'm just curious to hear kind of your opinion around how people pick their candidate. And I think, at least for me, I hear a lot of talk around like, maybe people being disappointed if there's not, you know, a presidential candidate that's exactly what, you know, exactly what they're wanting, or it's, you know, there's, there's never going to, in my opinion, there's never going to necessarily be that perfect candidate. But I also heard this interesting analogy recently that's that um, it was a quote that basically said, voting isn't marriage, it's public transport. So you're not waiting for the one who's absolutely perfect, you're getting the bus. And if there's isn't one to your destination, you don't not travel, you still take the one that's going closest to the destination you're looking for. So I thought that was a really good kind of analogy about choosing the candidates. So I just wanted to hear kind of what your thoughts are on that. And if you have anything else to say about how people should choose who to vote for if they feel like there's no perfect candidate for them. Yeah, I mean, like in 2019, I went to um, South by Southwest and I and I got to hear like they had a bunch of town halls and a bunch of presidential candidates come who, were, and who spoke. And at that point, I was like undecided on who I would support. And I had I hadn't started applying for, for jobs yet. But um, I heard Senator Warren speak and I was like, I'm in love, right? Like, this is my candidate. Like, I want to work for her. I'll travel to wherever they want to put me um, to, 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 to work for this lady because I believe she's the best candidate out there and what's best for, for this future and for this country, country's future and going against Trump. Uh, and, you know, I was lucky enough to, um, to work for her for 10 months. But then obviously, like, she unfortunately didn't, you know, you know after, a little bit after Super Tuesday, she dropped out. So I think I think in the beginning it's it's you know you are you know you can fall in love with a candidate right like in the primaries right you can you can be like I love this candidate I will do everything in my power to get this candidate elected right but then if your candidate isn't elected right then I guess um, you know it's kind of like I guess what the quote kind of says right um, you're not waiting for the one uh, you're getting the bus and there's an, yeah like you basically I mean yeah you per se settle right like it's not the worst choice right but it's not, it's not like the opposing party's candidate right it's just not your candidate but i think you know i think like for joe biden right he wasn't my first pick he wasn't my fifth pick he wasn't my 10th pick probably but like he is the de- democratic nominee right i see how bad trump is right so i think it's it's our responsibility as citizens it's the responsibility of those with influence and power to push him to uh, to be better on certain positions and issues that he's not on, but like he's our candidate, right? And he's much better than Trump, uh, like a billion times better than Trump. So you know, then then you get to a point like, yeah, fall in love with your candidate during the primary, but once it becomes you know the general, like you know, buckle up and support whoever the the nominee is. And like I said, in, in this case, we're going with you know Biden against Trump. Like I would take Biden, you know, twelve out of ten times. I'm actually also a Warren fan myself, and so Joe Biden was not my first pick. But it's also, it's like that part of like voting and being politically active. And I know this episode is focused on voting, but it's also like you're not done when your vote happens either, right? And if you're not happy with the current candidate you have and you're going to go and vote for them anyways, that doesn't mean, I think people forget, you can still hold them. Yeah, hold them accountable, yeah. Right? Like hold them accountable. Like if they win the next four years, that doesn't mean like, so that's on the flip side. It doesn't mean if like Biden wins, it's going to be unicorns. I know it's not going to be unicorns and rainbows and stuff, unicorns and happiness. And that's where it's up to us to hold whoever is in office on any level, like state, local, federal, accountable, right? And like 
voting is one of the ways you go and you show up and you say, this is what I care about and this is how I want to affect change. But like you were saying, like the people who created changes in the situations you talked about were just like activists, right? Just people who like, whether it's going to protest, whether it's sending petitions, whether it's like, you know, helping others, just being aware. So that's, that's another part of it too, is like you take the bus that's closest and you keep trying, like you walk some, you ride a bike, you ride a scooter, like you still try to get there um, and voting in once every four years doesn't have to be the only way you get there. But it's like right now, it's the way um, that I think is so dire for us to return to the country that we want and we believe in. Yeah, and and, and I, I think it would be a grave mistake to be like, everything was beautiful and then Trump came, right? Like Trump's a product right. of, of a lot of different things and he's emboldened a lot of different people. But like, I mean, you know, ever since this country was founded right like on, on the backs of slaves right and then just how we we treated we've treated immigrants in this country or women or, or gay folks or like it's we you know it's kind of what i said about austin right everyone thinks Austin's this like great liberal progressive city right it's not right there's a lot of things we could be better in right we can be that city that everyone thinks we are right and I, and I think same thing for the country. Like we're not what a lot of the other, you know, other other countries or folks around the world might think we are. But we can be that. But we just, we have a lot of work to do. For sure. Yeah. And for Shelly and I, having you here for this podcast was one of the ways we were trying to contribute to that work and encourage others and have this conversation. So thank you so so much for joining us today, Zohaib. Um This has been a great conversation. I think Shelly and I have learned a lot and. Uh, you know, we talked about some great stuff. So excited for everyone. I'm just like, can't wait to edit this. Usually I'm like tired after a podcast. Shelly knows. We're like, okay, we're going to take a break because we've been talking. But now I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's get this edited. Let's get this out there. Um, thank you so much. Again, we've been, this is Shelly and I from Vulnerable Views. And we've been talking with Zohaib Godry. You can keep up with him on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Zohaib A. Godry is the handle. And we'll have this on our social media as well as our website. Speaking of websites, you can also check out more of what he does on his. It's W www.zohaibgodry.com uh, and so hey uh, is there anything you want to shout out or mention as we kind of wrap this up well i mean i, I think i've already kind of said this like i, I do appreciate the opportunity um to come on and, and chat with you both i think you know hopefully folks who listen to this learn a lot and i think i've you know it's really interesting to hearing both your, your and, and shelly's uh perspective and then, I mean, like, you know, my, my main takeaway, which I, I think I've repeated like a hundred times during this thing is that I think it's really important to be aware of the suffering that's going on and, and a lot of our communities, um, you know, especially with everything that's going on with the pandemic, you know, it's, you know, our black and brown communities are suffering. People who are academically you know, disadvantaged are suffering. Poor people are suffering. Homeless people are suffering. So I think it's very important to do what we can to help those communities. And then I think it's just important to be an ally. For, for the black community, um, you know, you know, I thought George Floyd was like, oh, God, that happened, right? Like, things won't, like, nothing horrific will happen again, right? But then you hear about, like, you know, that, sh- you know, shooting that just happened where the, where the dude was shot seven, I think, 70 times in the back, right? Uh, you know, th- there's been, even since then, there's been so many deaths of, of unarmed black folks, and it's just, it's horrific. And I think we need to be better allies and, 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 and do more for those, for that community. Uh, and I think it's important to just, you know, continue to be a voice like anyone, whether you have a social media presence or not, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not Twitter famous or I don't have an Instagram, but if I did, I wouldn't be Instagram famous. Um, but, but, I, but I think it's important to highlight and, and uplift people's voices. Um, you know, Brianna Taylor was, was killed and the cops that killed her are still haven't been arrested. Right. And I, 
you know, I, I think that's just horrific. Um, so I, th- I think it's important to continue to uplift voices, you know, be the voice of the voiceless is, 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 is I guess, my main takeaway. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank, thank you so you. much. Cool. Thank you, guys.